Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Deep Dive podcast presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. Dylan, you are in the state of Washington. You are here, right? You're in Gig Harbor. We've got you recording here from Gig Harbor. This is great. So happy to have you here. And there's a lot to talk about this week. So much going on with the Kraken. We've got the NHL draft. We've got free agent signings. We've got RFAs. Uh, we've got players leaving, unfortunately. And we have DevCamp, which is the reason you're up here, too. So we're going to get to all of that uh, in this episode. But first, I want to talk about uh, DevCamp. But after DevCamp, the great meetup that we had with so many awesome members of the ECH community. Wasn't that an awesome time yesterday? It really was. It was fantastic. I mean, it- there's so many like shout outs, right? Like it feels like we need to do for it all. But um, meeting up at that park, that beautiful park next to KCI that a lot of people didn't know was like there as we were. They talking. didn't really promote it much, did they? No, no. But it's it's absolutely gorgeous. Got a great like um, turf little uh, grass area there. They had kids running around with soccer balls. We were playing uh, with the sauce kit. Shout out to Lindsay for bringing that. That was awesome. Um, and, uh, and then it's got like good, like amphitheater style seating, lots of tables. There's, there's set up ping pong tables there that you can just use if you bring your own paddle and ball. Like it's an incredible park that they've got there next to KCI. So definitely recommend that to everybody who hasn't been there before, but yes, I mean, everybody coming out and, and saying hi, meeting us, talking with us, talking about dev camp, meeting Afra, saying hi to her, go. getting all the love and taking all the selfies. I'm telling you, RJ, it's one thing, like I was just getting used to, you know, walking around like KCI and people like coming up and being like, oh, hi, Dylan. And I'm just like, hi, stranger, <laughs> right? Like uh-huh. where, where other people know who you are and you don't, you know, until they introduce themselves with a Twitter with a Twitter handle or a, a YouTube name, I don't know who, who somebody is. I was just getting used to all that stuff. It's something else entirely when you scroll through Twitter later on in an evening and you're just seeing pictures of your dog right. that other people are posting. <laughs> I'm just like, why is Afra like all over my Twitter feed? It's because all these people took pictures with her. And that was, that was definitely something new. I think she's blown well past both of us, RJ on the celebrity meter. Uh, everybody oh, for sure. This year. There's a reason why I put her bigger than either of us on the, the little graphic to promote the mm-hmm. meetup. I, I, we both know who people are really there to see. So big thanks to Afra for being the, the big draw yesterday. Yep. And uh, another big thank you to everybody who, who came out there and, and just PSA that park is there south side of KCI, basically like attached to the building. Go check that out. It's a great place to, to hang out, spend an afternoon. Um, so moving on from that, and we'll talk about Dev camp itself a little bit later, but let's start with some of the Kraken roster changes because there have been a lot of those over the past week with free agency starting, uh, the deadlines to qualify RFAs, all of that going on. I think we should just take it probably position by position and talk about the various changes, players in, players out, uh, and then the outlook for next season. And of course, got to start net out. So looking at the goaltending situation, it's interesting. We now kind of have this three-headed monster again. Martin Jones' contract is up. I don't believe he's signed anywhere as of yet, but I don't think he will not be coming back to the Kraken. Uh, But the big news there is Joey Decord signs a two-year contract extension at a $1.2 million cap hit. And I wasn't sure if this one was going to happen, Dylan, right? We thought that maybe his future was up in the air. He might be going somewhere else for more opportunity. But 
great to see him get this deal. I, you got to think if this is Joey, if you're Joey Decord, this is the contract that you want. A multi-year deal, mm-hmm. north of a million dollars, something that's even above the amount that you can bury in the minors, and a real shot to earn the backup job this year. Absolutely, right? And we talked about this last week on the deep dive, what was going to go down, and and would Joey be open to, to something like that with the Kraken? Um, and and would, would the Kraken be open to it with Joey, knowing the situation also with Drieger and everything? And um, I just think I'm, I'm so happy to see it. I'm so happy for Joey, first and foremost, right, to be able to get that deal. Uh, like you said, multi-year, over the million dollars. Like, it's he so deserves it. Um, and I don't think anybody would, would say otherwise. So I'm really, really happy for Joey. And then, yeah, I mean – we'll see what the rest of the off season maybe has in store for what the goaltending situation is for everybody. But I got to think, you know, with that contract comes the understanding of he's, he's going in to be the, you know, to compete for that backup spot behind Philip Grubauer. I mean, there's, there's no other reason why you would do this. Right. You, you wouldn't pay that kind of money to an AHL goalie, certainly not on a one-way deal. And and by the way, because we'll be talking about one-way and two-way contracts. I think that's something that we should go over real quickly. So, um, there can be a bit of a misunderstanding with one-way and two-way contracts, I think largely because of EA Sports and the NHL yes. video game, uh, where it was a different system. But basically, a uh, one-way contract means that a player's salary is exactly what's listed there. They have one salary regardless of whether they're in the NHL or the minors. A two-way contract means that you have two separate salaries, one if you're in the NHL and then one if you're like in the AHL or the minors somewhere. Um, so it has nothing to do with waivers eligibility, you know, whether they'll require waivers to be sent down. So in Joey's case, if the Kraken do want to send him down to Coachella Valley, uh, he will require waivers to head down there after after training camp. So that's just something to, to keep in mind uh, with those one-way, two way contracts so in net going forward for the crack in next season i mean you've got three goalies and mm-hmm. you've got two nets as ron francis talked about so i was curious we got to talk to to ron on um july 1st so after first day of free agency and i was curious about the goaltending situation going forward so i asked him what's the outlook on that for next season and here's his answer he said we've got three goalies and only two nets so two will play and unless we do something between now and the start of the season then one will have to go through waivers and go down to Coachella so you know that that's a big unless you know so you still have the possibility of maybe moving in Chris Drieger but if that doesn't happen it sounds like they're fully prepared to go into training camp with the three goalies have one of Drieger Decord win that backup job and the other one sent down to the Firebirds Right. And, you know, we kind of saw the situation last offseason, right? Last training camp and everything. And it's one of those where I I guess you can afford to be patient, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you wait. And I guess if you're Ron Francis, your you're thinking is, look, if I can't get a deal done for, for somebody, say, moving a Drieger out, um, I'll just wait. And at some point, somebody's going to need a goaltender right? Injuries happen. That's always an unfortunate reality of sports and stuff like that. And so I do wonder if he's just thinking like, well, you know, we kind of got away with it last year with with sending Joey down through waivers during training camp and stuff. We waited until the end. Everybody had kind of already solidified their goaltending situation. So nobody was, you know, looking for somebody at that point. And I do wonder if he's kind of thinking the same thing here. That and let's be realistic, right? If Joey looks good through training camp and you decide you want to go with him as the backup, you stick Drieger on waivers, probably nobody's picking him up with that contract, 
I would be very no. surprised. Like they, somebody would really need to have a goaltender, in which case just trade for him, right? Like in that sense, right. you, you need a goaltender. You could probably right get Seattle to eat some money too as well. And yeah. you know, if, if you're Ron Francis, why not retain even up to half, make him a $1.75 exactly. million dollar player, get ha- recoup basically half of that cap space at least. Exactly. So um, I it, it makes perfect sense to me that, you know, this is, this is the direction Ron Francis is going um, because it is one where he can be patient. There is, there isn't any reason to kind of force this. You don't need to enter training camp with your definitive backup known and all of that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, we saw it played out last year and I think he's just going to kind of go back to that same, same way of thinking. Yeah, no, I think that's going to be the case in net and excited to see what Joey can do. He's got a real opportunity now, probably for the first time with the Kraken has a real chance to come up and take the backup job. So uh, looking forward to that in net Uh, moving on to the blue line. So uh, there have been some changes there. Um, you have Carson Soucy out, Brian Dumoulin in. But I want to start with Vince Dunn because he is the number one blue liner to worry about this offseason uh, to focus on here. And so Vince Dunn was given a qualifying offer so the Kraken retain his rights as a restricted free agent. That's no surprise. Ron Francis told us at the end of the season he was going to do that. Yeah, that's for sure. So. No real update on an extension yet for Vince Dunn. Of course, we asked Ron about it on on uh, July first, and he said uh, didn't really give a whole lot of of updates. Just, you know, we're we're working on that. It'll depend timeline wise on whether Dunn files for arbitration or not. Uh, so that's something to look out for too. Uh, the deadline is uh, July fifth, so on that second day of Dev Camp, uh, keep an eye out on the news because that's Dunn's deadline to file for player elected salary arbitration, which he is free to do. Um, but it sounds like they're still basically just hammering it away at, at an extension. I, I still believe it'll get done, um, you know, sooner than, than later. I don't know. I don't think they'll want to go to arbitration. It's definitely something you don't want, but mm-hmm. nothing really new there on Vince Dunn. No. And, you know, again, it, it makes sense that, that it wouldn't move quickly. We've talked about it before, right? Like the number for him, conceivably is very big like the, the gaps between numbers are very large um we, we've talked about it looking at other comps um even you know comps before thinking about the fact that the cap's going to most likely go up next off season you know semi-significantly and everything um the comps for young defensemen kind of coming in and signing deals like this were in that nine plus range and i you know, neither of us really thought probably that Ron Francis was going to want to do something like that. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if, you know, Vince Dunn's coming in asking for nine, five, because why wouldn't you? And Ron Francis comes in at like seven, right? That's a big gap for team and player to negotiate down and up from, right? Like it's, it's a, it's a lot of stuff that you can start working in there. And then you start talking about, you know, ways of each side maybe giving a little right you give on term or you give on money and then you get you know no trade clause or no move clause or all sorts of different things like that that can start coming in whether or not you're going to start burying a lot of it into performance bonuses things like that and so it's not a quick process whenever you're working out one of these kind of long-term extensions for somebody that you view as a as a core member of the team um and so I'm I'm not surprised that oh it, it didn't happen, you know, day one of everything going down. You know what I mean? 
Exactly. And there, there was so much going on in that tight timeline, too, uh, that everyone has to has to worry about. And I mean, I think we'll we'll see that, too, when we talk about a Matty Veneers extension later. I think Ron France yeah. just kind of had to prioritize certain things that were on his plate and he still has time later to, to get to the other things. Um, so no news on Dunn. Also, same thing. No real news on Will Borgen signing extension. He was qual- given a qualifying offer, so he's an RFA. They've got a lot of runway. Uh, Borgen is our arb- eligible, so he could file for arbitration as well but still you know no worries on that they'll they'll probably get a deal done at some point but the big moves on defense we have Carson Soucy out and Brian Dumoulin in so Carson Soucy a pending UFA I mean we had pretty much known for months all the way back prior to the trade deadline probably that he wasn't being brought back uh it just didn't seem like that was a, a real possibility given how coveted he would be on the free agent market. Susie ends up signing in Vancouver on a three-year deal, just north of $3 million a year. Uh, good for him. Gets a little bit of a raise. Doesn't have to move too far. He did mention that being close to his family, especially with uh, with two uh, babies on the way, that was really important to him as well. So I, I think Carson's going to be really happy in Vancouver, wishing him the best. Um, so that was expected. What wasn't expected was the Kraken going ahead and signing Brian Dumoulin. Because I don't know about you, Dylan. I didn't see that one coming. No, I really didn't. I mean, we had all kind of been going into the offseason thinking, you know, okay, yes, Susie would leave. That opens up a spot. And in either uh, Jacob Megna could take over that role or Riker Evans, you know, was looking pretty ready um, towards the end of the Firebird season there. So Riker Evans could come up and, you know, try to break into the lineup and then, the Kraken have their kind of seven defensemen there, and it's all kind of set. You bring in Brian Dumoulin, and I mean, there's a lot of things that are interesting about this. He is a veteran guy. He's been you know, on that blue line for the Penguins for nine years, I think. Um, and he won two Stanley Cups there, was fantastic during those two cup runs. I mean, I remember that, right? <laughs> How many yep. times we, we, we need to bring up being there in 2016? Um, I don't know, but I'll do it another and um, he was he was really fantastic through those two 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 cup runs that they had, and even some years after that. But these last two seasons in particular have been really really rough for for Dumoulin. And um, I I don't know I'm I'm kind of confused as to what to think about bringing him in. Um, it, this isn't like last off season where it was like Ron Francis was pretty vocal about say wanting a puck moving defenseman. And then they go out and they sign Justin Schultz. And you're like, okay, that makes perfect sense, right? He's right. Prototypical guy, veteran guy, been there, done that. I think that there is elements of Ron Francis probably wanting another guy in the room, right? Cups in the room. This is a veteran defenseman. He has been there, done that. I think that is valuable, especially as this group, you know, is starting to make playoff runs now. We can officially say it. Um, I don't know. I, I think... There's going to be elements. I don't think he'll be as bad as he was, say, the last two years in Pittsburgh, just because there was a lot of weird turmoil in Pittsburgh, lots of question marks always floating in the air. And I think him coming to Seattle, it's one, it's a change of scenery, which generally does guys well. And two, he's probably going to be in a reduced role from what Pittsburgh was asking him to do coming over here, especially if he, say, is just the Carson Soucy replacement. Then you're looking at third-pairing minutes instead of, at times, first-pairing minutes in Pittsburgh. That's a big difference uh, in what you're asking somebody to do and, and maybe how far they can stretch themselves in different situations and things like that. So I'm, I'm still optimistic. I still think he's a good player. I've seen him be a really, really, really good player before. Um, and, and I got to think that that's still in there. But, yeah, this one really kind of came out of left field for me. 
Right. And Ron Francis has seen him be a good player as well. And and this was interesting. Francis was mentioning, too, that Dumoulin was one of his, I think he called him like a project, you know, in Carolina uh, when he was drafted by the Hurricanes and spent his early years in the Canes organization. So Francis has that familiarity from a long ways back, knows exactly what Dumoulin can bring, has, has seen the potential in him for a long time. And I'm sure he has a good role uh, in vision there. And um, Dave Haxtell even mentioned yesterday, he said, I've, I've got a couple D pairs in mind already where I could see him fitting in really well uh, with what we're doing. So interesting to see kind of what, what he has there. I believe he played with Justin Schultz uh, in Pittsburgh for a bit yep. as well. Um, so you can definitely see the fit if you're looking to bring in another defenseman, you know, why Francis might be looking at, at a Dumoulin and, and envisioning him fitting in on the crack and blue line. Um, but one thing I do think was interesting too, because one thought I had, and I think a lot of media members had when the Dumoulin signing broke was, well, if you were going to sign him, why not just bring back Carson Soucy? Um, and Ron Francis did address that. And he said that term was actually a pretty big factor in not bringing back Susie and, and signing a Dumoulin instead. And he, he said it's important when we're building this thing that we're not blocking Riker's move, that we're not blocking Riker moving forward, wanting to keep a spot available for Riker Evans to go up and take. Um, but Dylan, I, I wanted to ask you about this because I'm still a little bit confused with that answer, because if this was a one year deal, I totally get it. You know, yep. he's someone there to fill a spot for one year. Maybe Riker's not fully ready yet. He can come up if there's an injury or something. And then next year, you know, pedal to the metal. Go, you know, you're a full-time or NHLer. But because this is a two-year deal and you've got Alexiak and presumably done on the left side locked up long-term, uh, I, I feel like this still does block Riker Evans a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it certainly does in the short term. This is what I'm, I'm just going to double check, but... This is we are entering the last year of Justin Schultz's contract, right? Because that was a two-year contract. And yes, what Riker Evans, right? Puck moving defenseman, similar to Justin Schultz. It's possible that you know that's kind of what they're thinking, right? Is, is did he play on the right side? He would play on the right side, and and he could he could come in when Justin Schultz leaves. And so, you know, long term, they don't want necessarily somebody with three years worth of term, but they they can look and they can say, give Brian Dumoulin two years because they, there's only one year left for, for Justin Schultz. And considering Riker Evans and Justin Schultz kind of play a similar style, they're going to fill the same role within the team. Um, I could see them thinking along those those lines, particularly because, you know, if Schultz is going to stay kind of on the third pairing, like he, like he finished the season yeah. on for the Kraken, that would then make sense. That's the natural spot that you would start off for Riker Evans. So it's possible that, that that's kind of... But I'm with you. It's a little strange then that you would still give term past a year to somebody but not go to three if you're going to go to two it's odd right it's, 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 it, it's it odd. is and and to your point though in the short term uh i think it really does block Riker evans at least if everybody's yeah. healthy because if you look at the crack and blue line now assuming dunn and borgen are back mm -hmm. uh if, if if you are not having if Riker evans is in the lineup then you're having one of you know dumoulin or alexiak or or, or schultz or borgen presumably out of right. the lineup as a healthy scratch and you're talking at least two million dollar cap hit that's just sitting up there in the press box and I, that's kind of hard to justify for a long stretch of time so if there's an injury it's great you've got the depth you can have evans come in and plug that hole but you also are going to have one of your nhl regular defensemen sitting in the press box if everyone's healthy and Riker evans is going to get into this lineup not to mention megna 
I mean, yes. <laughs> we've barely talked about Jacob Magna, but he's still there. He's under contract this year. He didn't really get to play, I mean, hardly at all uh, last season mm-hmm. for the Kraken. Um, and it looks like he just might be stapled to the press box yet again. So, you know, tough deal for him uh, with the signing. But I, I don't know. I, I think it still blocks Evans in the short term. It does. Do you think that they're just thinking like, you know, okay, well, we'll roll with, you know, the six and we'll have Megna in the press box and then Riker will start the year with the Firebirds and and then he's just the natural call up for if when somebody goes down. I could see that. Uh, and, and I do think that makes sense just given, you know, who they've signed and the fact that you can send Evans down to the Firebirds without requiring waivers yes. or anything. So Massive. you can get him games there. You can get him reps there. He can continue to develop and as soon as you have an injury, he can be the guy who comes up and fills that spot. And you don't need to really worry about the roster limits and everything. And and in the meantime, you still have an NHL blue line. So I think it does make sense because he's not waiver eligible yet. Yeah. And again, they're, they're now in a different mindset than they were last off season, right? Last off season was, wow, we're coming off of an atrocious first season. Uh, we have a super high draft pick again. Uh, we, we, you know, landed a Shane Wright, all that kind of stuff, but they were very much thinking of how can we get this roster into a place where it can compete for a playoff spot. And now you're coming off a season in which you went, you know, to game seven of the second round, you were one goal away from potentially going even further. And you have to, you have to kind of change the line of thinking of, well, the window is now. And so, you know, is the best thing for your window bringing in a, a Riker Evans and, having him adjust to the NHL as you're also trying to compete, you know, to try to secure home ice through the playoffs and know that you're trying to put together a long playoff run. Like I I think this move in particular, bringing in Dumoulin, uh, uh, someone with cup experience, and then maybe blocking the path for Riker for this season speaks to maybe a shifting in mindset of, you know, maybe upping the timeline a little bit as to what their, you know, cup contention years really are. Yeah, no, I, I I could see that. I think it does communicate. Yeah, we're we're ready to contend right now, uh, and you do need depth on the blue line if you want to contend. Mm-hmm. You know, in the playoffs, the Kraken were uncommonly healthy on defense last season, and I think maybe there's a thing thinking too. Okay, well, what are the odds that happens two years in a row where just everybody's healthy basically yeah. the entire season? It's just not something that really happens in the NHL. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a fair point. So that's the blue line. I guess before we finish the blue line, just want to talk about poor Kale Fleury. Uh, they did give him a qualifying offer. So the crack, it looks like they will be hanging on to him. I mean, he's just buried so far down on this D depth chart. I, yeah. I think he'll probably just be put on waivers, either since Coachella Valley or, or claimed elsewhere. But uh, just, you know, pour it out for Kale Fleury. There it is, his ice time, because he hasn't got to play very much. Exactly. It's That, that does seem kind of what he's destined for. I. I mean, once they brought Magna in, right? Like that was kind of his situation. And this certainly doesn't help things for him. Yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on to the forwards. So some interesting changes with the forwards as well. Mm -hmm. I think we should start with the players who are leaving because uh, that's the big headline there. The Kraken had one of the best, if not the best fourth lines in the NHL last season. And no surprise, other teams saw that. Maybe wanted to emulate that. Maybe wanted to get some of those players on their team after watching them with the Kraken. Um, and so as a result, uh, you have Morgan Geeky, Daniel Sprong, and Ryan Donato all heading elsewhere. Um, so kind of talking about them one by one and how that came to be. So if you look at Geeky and Sprong, uh, 
both of those two were restricted free agents. So the Kraken were potentially could keep their rights, but Ron Francis chose not to give them qualifying offers, which would keep their RFA rights. And as we suspected, Francis kind of confirmed that arbitration cases were a big factor in not qualifying those two. Mm-hmm. Um, for Sprong and Geeky, they were both arbitration eligible. They could have elected for, for salary arbitration. And I mean, look, we watched them last season. We know they have a fairly strong case, yeah. uh, especially a Daniel Sprong who has some very good numbers that he can point to. And Francis said, we, I think he said, weren't exactly comfortable with, <laughs> with the, those arm situations. And so he chose not to qualify them. They became unrestricted free agents on July 1st. So they were free to sign with any team. Um, and, Let's, I guess, start with Daniel Sprong. I mean, he put up huge numbers for the Kraken in a very limited role. We figured he wanted to take an opportunity to get paid more than he was. He was making basically making league minimum coming off of a tryout offer. And I think more importantly, he wants a bigger role because he's a good player. I think he's earned a bigger role just to see what he can do in maybe some top six minutes or even at least top nine minutes. Um, and he ends up signing in Detroit. One year, $2 million, and you've got to think he's he's going to get some more minutes in Detroit. Oh, definitely. And, you know, he was the one that was the least surprising to see leave, right? Uh, just because we knew he was going to be in line to, to potentially get paid. Sounds like maybe he's betting on himself a little bit with this deal in Detroit, right? The one-year term, uh, maybe going somewhere where he's going to get those minutes and he can maybe then show up for next offseason when the cap goes up a little bit and try to get his long-term deal then. Um, you know, good luck to him. I, I know I sincerely mean that. Um, but, uh, he, he was the one that, you know, he was kind of on the outs with Hackstall down the stretch. It felt like, right. Like, you know, whenever, whenever he kept trying to scratch him and then an injury would happen and then Daniel Sprong was back in the lineup. So he, he was the one that kind of, it had been signaled for a while, similar to Susie that, you know, even before the season ended, it was kind of like, all right, this is, this situation's probably done between player and team. Um, the Morgan Geeky one, though, that one's surprising to me. And I have a couple theories on it, but were you at all surprised that they didn't qualify him? I was surprised to see them not qualifying because uh, the, the qualifying offer, look, it was about $1.5 million. It's not cheap. It's it's not, you know, it's about double league minimum. Uh, but it ends up being less than what he signed for. He signed for two years at $2 million a year to for the Boston Bruins. I thought they were going to keep him around. Uh, just looking at you still need a fourth line center. Um, you, I thought Ron Francis certainly believes in Geeky's potential. And Francis actually did mention that he he gave Geeky what he thought was a, a pretty fair offer, but it, it ended up not working out. Yeah. So I was surprised by that. But then I thought, okay, there's, there's two things. The obvious one that, you know, kind of everybody's we've been talking about on the discord and everything has been, um, this is them leaving that spot kind of open for Shane Wright, right? And and he can come in and he can be the fourth line center or third line center, whatever it is, but it, it opens up a center role for Shane Wright in some capacity. And I still think that that is part of the Kraken's thinking. I I'm, you know understand Ron Francis saying nothing's assured, right? They're not penciling him in, but it's just, you know, it is there. If, if Shane Wright shows up to camp, he can earn that spot. I, I do believe that. My other line of thinking though is, do you think this is them trying to go out and and really find a more veteran center that they can rely on to win faceoffs? Because faceoffs was such a big problem for the Kraken all last season. It continued into the playoffs. They were just getting killed on faceoffs. And I know 
it sounds like it's just face-offs. And yeah, at times it's really important, but those, you know, late in the third period of a playoff game, yeah, it would have been great to win that draw. And that's when you think about it. But you look at like the standings from last season and, and you look at the face-off numbers and three of the final four teams left in the playoffs this past year were top seven in face-off win percentage last year. The odd person, the odd team out was Florida who had a goaltender playing you know, better than like any goaltender in recent memory has in the postseason. So kind of offset literally everything. Um, but it but it does show that faceoffs do actually matter, right? Like that is one of those things when you are in a tough playoff series, the way they were against say the Dallas Stars, faceoffs can become the difference maker for you. And I do wonder if them not qualifying geeky, keeping a center spot open is because maybe they want to go out and try to target a veteran center who can win faceoffs for them and be somebody they can deploy in the defensive or offensive zone when they when they really need to in big time moments. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's possible. And on the free agent market still, I think you do have some faceoff specialists, mm-hmm. some bottom six guys like a uh, Thomas Nosek comes to mind as someone you you could bring in. Personally, again, if I was Ron Francis, it's just my own opinion. I I would wait till the trade deadline. I think that's probably a better time to do it. You can assess your team's needs a little bit more there. Um, you know, and hey, even if you do bring a Morgan Geeky back and, and he's just not cutting it or you need to bring someone else, that's kind of where you load up and then you just have more forward depth. So um I think that could be the, the thought there from Ron Francis. I mean, we'll, we'll probably figure out sooner or later uh, to see if seeing if they sign a 4C or, or if they leave that spot open or what they do. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's possible. And I agree with you on the importance of face-offs. Just for me, I think that's more of a trade deadline ad. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, and I like that too, right? You want to keep the cap flexibility for the, for the trade deadline as well in case something really, you know, disastrous happens. You need to make some sort of move. You want to have that flexibility. And I think there was probably also some elements of them maybe wanting for to wait for dev camp, but I know we'll talk about it in a little bit, but I was impressed by what I saw from Shane and I think they probably were too. And that kind of leads more towards the first line of thinking, which is this is opening a spot for him. <laughs> yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. That has to be your top priority as well. And certainly if geeky wanted a multi-year deal too, he ends up getting two years in yeah. Boston. If it was a one-year deal then I think, okay, what's the harm and just bring him back for, for one year. Right. And it's very flexible, but a second year, especially around the 2 million Boston sign him for that would really give me pause. So that, that yeah. does make sense now last, but certainly, certainly not least mm-hmm. Brian Donato was kind of saving him for, for last year of the forwards heading out. Um, but he goes to the Chicago Blackhawks signed the two year deal, $2 million a year, same deal as uh, Morgan geeky got actually. Um, and he heads out, but I, I, I'm going to miss Ryan Donato. A, a lot of Kraken fans are going to miss Ryan Donato. He will always hold a special place in franchise history, scoring the team's first goal against Vegas. We were both in the building for that. We know what a special mm-hmm. moment that was. Um, and then just being a, a great guy, uh, you know, on and off the ice. Off the, the ice, too, Ron Francis, he did mention, he said he was talking about all three of the guys who left. And he said Donato actually called him shortly after signing in Chicago to thank him, thank the organization for everything that they've done for him. Call him a class kid, true professional. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just wishing the best for him in Chicago. I'm sure he'll get a lot more opportunity there. I just want to see yeah. him play games. I want to see him drive the net. I want to see him do all the things that he did in Seattle and, and hopefully with some more minutes there too. Exactly. And it, it was one of those things where like at first, this was the one that really kind of bummed me out. And he was the player that I thought most that the Kraken could bring back. 
right? <laughs> just because of how versatile he is for them. The fact that, you know, he was able to come in and play center a little bit in the playoffs even, right? Like, like he could do whatever they really needed him to do. And there is a lot of value in having somebody like that around and somebody who understands the culture, somebody who's got chemistry with multiple guys on the team already. Like there, there's value there. So I was, he was the one that I, I thought there was the best chance of coming back. Unfortunately, he doesn't. But then my very next thought was just, I'm so happy that he that he got the contract he got. You know what I mean? Like nobody yeah. deserves it more than Ryan Donato to have that opportunity to not only get the contract in a couple years, get you know a couple million per and and all of that, um, but but also the opportunity to go to a team where you know he's probably going to get more minutes. He's going to be put in maybe a slightly better spot to to showcase his offensive abilities, maybe put up some numbers all that kind of stuff. And I, I'm really happy for him. And it was one of those where it's, it's, it is definitely bittersweet. You, you hate to see him go, but at the same time, you're like, look, look at this guy who was, you know, on his way out of the NHL. If, if a new team didn't exist and need players, he probably wasn't going to be in the NHL. And here he's getting to continue to live his dream. And he's, he's going to continue to be able to support his family. And it's, it's hard not to just be happy about that. Exactly. I, I'm I'm so happy for him. And yet yeah, to, to be a spot like Seattle has been the last couple of years where players can come in and basically revive their NHL career. You saw mm-hmm. this with Daniel Sprong as well yeah. on, on a PTO. Um, you know, I, I love that for them getting a multi-year deal too. And, and that, that kind of money, I mean, that's, that's huge for a player who was right on the fringes of the NHL. Um, so really happy for Ryan Donato. I, I know he'll uh, always be a fan favorite here in Seattle. We'll continue to see Ryan Donato jerseys at, at games for a long time to come um, and wishing him the best in Chicago. I don't know. Maybe he'll get to play with Connor Bedard. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. You never it, know. Him or Corey Perry, right? I mean, you, you can, you, there's a lot of stuff to work with. Yeah. You, you can't go wrong. Can you? All right. Let's, <laughs> let's move on from that. So um, with those, guys uh heading to other teams that's basically the the fourth line as it was for a lot of last season gone so those are spots you have to replace if you were the kraken and look the kraken have a lot of forwards uh from last season under contract there was not a whole lot of work they had to do so going into the off season you look at the lineup and you have 10 forwards before the offseason started, you have 10 forwards basically already penciled in. And you've yeah. got, if you go by last season's lines, you've got McCann, Beneers, Eberle. Uh, you've got Schwartz, Wenberg, Burakovsky. You've got Tolvanen, Gord, and Bjorkstrand. And then you've got Brandon Tanev, you know, down on, on what would be a fourth line. So that really only leaves two forward spots. And so that's a big reason that we we thought maybe Geeky, Sprong, Donato wouldn't be coming back. Um and so, and even then you probably pencil Ty Karchi in for one of those forward spots. Mm-hmm. Certainly the way Ron Francis has been talking about him continues to talk about him. Yep. I mean, he and Haxall again, just gush over this kid. So, and, um, I'll, I'll move uh, forward to, um, to dev camp for a second, but just, I want to take a, a quote. I think it was from Jagger Furcus, um, where he was saying that a lot in the organization, I forget whether it was Francis or Haxtell. He said like, you know, they were telling us like, look what happened with Ty Karche this season. Look at the example that he set. Look what you can do. You could go from an AHL fourth liner to playing big time playoff minutes in the mm-hmm. NHL. Um, and so it's clearly, it's clear that he's someone the organization holds up as this is the standard for what hard work can get you. Anyway, he's going to take one of those two yeah. spots. Um, and so that really, that only leaves one forward spot. And the Kraken made one NHL level forward signing. And that is Kyler Yamamoto. And that this signing, I think, is really exciting. Um, 
going to be an instant fan favorite, of course, being the first Washington native to ever be under contract for the Seattle Kraken. Yamamoto being from Spokane, played his junior hockey with the Spokane Chiefs. Um, what do you think of this signing? I mean, I like the signing. It's obviously a fantastic story. Nobody can you know, argue with that and everything. And he's a good player, right? He's an effective bottom six player, in my opinion. Um, it's it's just that yeah, I'm just kind of confused as to where everybody's supposed to shake out, right? Right. Like, where, where's also, the spot for him, right? Where's the spot for him? Because he's going to be on the wing, right? Most likely. He's probably not centering the fourth line. No, right? no. He's going to play wing. Yeah, Tanev and Cartier aren't going to center the fourth line, so you still need to bring in somebody for the fourth line. And then you're talking, well, who ends up being the scratch? Brandon Tanev's probably not going to get scratched, right? Ty Cartier, maybe they'd scratch him, but I don't know. And then there's we haven't even talked about John Hayden resigning and stuff. So it's one of those like this is it's getting very very crowded. And again, that doesn't that isn't a bad thing. You want to have people around because injuries happen, all that stuff, right? You have Jaden Schwartz on the team. I hate that we always have to talk about him this way, but the bottom line <laughs> is he's not going to play 82 games. He isn't, right? So you do need some some extra wingers in there. Um, and, and you know, there's other guys that have had injury histories. So it's one of those, like, this makes I, – I don't know where everyone's supposed to be. That's the only thing. I like the player. I like the signing, the money, the term. Everything works great. But where is he even going to play? <laughs> I know too many good NHL level players, right? I mean, I guess it's a good problem to have. It was a problem they had, you know, quote unquote problem that they had last season. Right. And I just think this is part of Ron Francis philosophy though, where if you see an opportunity, you go for it and let it all shake out later because of that competition for spots. I think we saw it last season with Ellie Tolvanen at the point where the Kraken picked him up off waivers. They already had yeah. some of the best depth in the NHL. They didn't really have a whole lot of spots at, at that point. It took him a while to get in. It did. Yeah, I know he had what five or six games of just of being mm-hmm. healthy, scratch, just working with the coaches, getting up to speed. It took him a while to break into the lineup, and of course, when he did, he didn't. He gave them no choice but to keep him in. Uh, but we saw that with other players too, where it felt like you know Sprong, Donato, Geeky at various points were just giving the team no choice but to leave them in, and somebody had to be the odd man out. Um, it worked well for the Kraken last season. And I think if you, if you do see that opportunity, you know, why not go for it? It's a one year deal. I I should mention this too. It's a one year deal. I think it was 1.15 million, just, just North or was it 1.15 or 1.5? Might be 1.5. Yeah. Let me see here. It is 1.5. Yeah. Okay. One year, 1.5. Either way. I mean, it's not a whole lot on your cap there. Um, So it's very low risk. I think the upside is is fairly substantial. He's a very good yeah. skill player. Um, and uh, I should mention the, the backstory behind this too, because we were looking at pay, perhaps a Yamamoto, depending how the offseason shook out, because he was with the Oilers uh, to yeah. start the offseason. He had one year left on his contract, just north of $3 million. And of course, he was deemed kind of not worth that much. So they traded him to the Detroit Red Wings, along with Clem Costin. The Red Wings then promptly bought him out, so he became a free agent there. And so then he was free to sign with any team. And um, I just think, you know, the opportunity was there to, to get a player. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of the Tolvanen situation, you know, former, former first round pick, you know, didn't quite work out in a place that, you know, I don't know how much opportunity he really 
got in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'd have to go back and kind of look at the details of everything. And I mean, what, what do you remember anything from his, his time in Edmonton? Because I kind of loosely followed it. Remember, he was a high draft pick. They're right. like, oh, he can play with McDavid and Dreisaitl. And like a number of players they brought in for that job, it didn't really work out. Right. Yeah. I mean, he just kind of fell into that meat grinder that all those guys kind of fall into where it's, you know, the idea is here and it's, you know, it's a good idea on paper, but then they were never patient enough to see it through to fruition. Uh, you know, slightly different situation from like a Yessi Paul Yarvi, but with him, it just felt like they were never patient enough to really kind of give him that chance. It was always like, oh, we're throwing you in as, you know, 19, 20 year old and you're not like gelling right away with Connor McDavid. Then we got to go out and we got to, you know, sign a Zach Hyman or whoever it was at the time. Right. Because that's just the way Edmonton has always thought about these things. And so it's it's just one of those like I, I feel like, it, you know, you never really got the the fair shake at it all just because it's it's Edmonton and they're always in like panic, you know, off season, off season. We have to change everything that we can. And and that happened again, right, this off season. But it, it makes sense for him. It makes sense for the team, right? Ron Francis able to take advantage of the fact that he was just bought out. So he is getting paid already for this other thing. It allows him to come in, sign a one-year deal at maybe less than he could get on the open market because he's still getting paid from the old contract. And Ron Francis is able to be the beneficiary. He gets to come home, play, play in his home state. I got to think that that matters for him. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've seen him be a good player before. He's He's been a 20 goal scorer and he was a 20 goal scorer, you know, just two years ago. Like when, when given the little bit of opportunity to, to rise up the depth chart, he's, he's proven he can handle it. And so that's where, you know, I could see as injuries occur, if there's an injury in the top six, he's totally capable of stepping in and filling that void and and scoring right like he wouldn't necessarily be like a brandon tan of last year filling in there or maybe a, a tight cartier where it's more so to be an energy guy and maybe a power forward bang bodies no you'd be moving him up the lineup to come in and and replace the goal scoring that you just lost from an injury and i think that that is something that the kraken did miss a little bit and then they certainly missed during the playoff stretch as well so I like I like having that. I like having the depth. I'll never say no to the depth. It's just good luck to Dave Haxall trying to manage the situation. I know. I know. I, and again, I would think it was a problem if it just didn't work out so well last season with that competition making everyone better. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see how it goes there. And interestingly, though, too, as you mentioned, with the top six role, potentially, if someone gets hurt, um, Haxtell mentioned that like he's not a perimeter player. Like he will use his smarts, his ability to get to the inside. And I know that's something that Haxtell likes about his game. Even though he's listed 5'8", 153, you know, he's not a perimeter player. And I think that's something big that the Kraken look for as well. Yeah, no. And and you know what? Just get all the tape you can on him to, to show Jagger Furcus. Because Furcus yes. is kind of same style guy. This, this could be like the perfect mentor to have for him. Yeah, no, I, I would love that. Um, I, I think that that work out really well. So a couple other notes on Kraken forwards. Uh, Matty Beneers. So he is eligible for an extension now. July 1st has passed. Um, and so that was a topic of conversation as we got to talk to Ron Francis. And as far as getting an extension, I asked him, is that something you'd like to get done this summer? And he said, we'd like to do that for sure. Uh, but he did point out, like we mentioned earlier, kind of the crazy timeline of everything. Maddie, of course, was at the NHL Awards in Nashville and attended the draft, uh, having 
been uh, winning the Calder Trophy as the uh, as the NHL's Rookie of the Year. So it's kind of been a, a whirlwind last week for him and Ron Francis. He says they'll start looking at those discussions after today, meaning you know the first that we talked to him. So they're going to start looking at those discussions now. I, Francis would love to get an extension done, uh, hopefully long term with Matty Beniers this summer. And, and I mean, why wouldn't you? You want to get this contract locked in before the cap goes up. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sign him for eight years if you can, and, and don't really worry about what the money is. Um, second note on forwards, um, Andre Burakovsky update. He is on track to be good to go for September. Uh, you know, dealing with the injury he was, he probably could have come back if the Kraken made the Stanley cup final. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that wasn't to be, but yeah, he should be good to go in September. Ron Francis said that, uh, that Burakovsky gave him a phone call just to, you know, let him know everything's good. I'm doing great. Francis, when he said he was a little worried when he saw the phone, you know, call from Andre, just like, Oh no, what, you know, what's, what's he going to tell me? Um, but uh, no, it turns out all all is good. Yeah, I think there was a follow up question too. Like, is that just your reaction when any player calls you? <laughs> so no, what is it? He's like, no. <laughs> so maybe that speaks to Berkey a little bit. But uh, that was a, that was a fun moment from the Francis uh, media availability. But yeah, Burakovsky should be good to go for training camp in September. Um, so that's all I have on the Kraken forwards. Um, so yeah, I mean, as far as where the roster stands, it seems like. Their only real problem is just that they might have too many good players for the amount of spots they have. So I I think we'll take that. Yeah. And in all three places, right? There's just too many forwards. There's, you know, assuming Dunn and Borgen both come back, there's too many defensemen and then there's too many goalies. What, what a problem. (laughs) I know that same discussion came up with, yeah, with all three position groups that we, that we talked about. So it'll be a very interesting training camp for sure. Yeah, and depending on what the contracts end up looking like, like they're going to have cap space too. Like that's the yeah, crazy they, thing. They'll have like, room to add potentially. I'm telling you, how, how do they do it? I know, great. I know. You know, it's it's good management from the top down. Uh, love to see it. Um, so there, those are not the only you know new players. Basically, we got a much bigger prospect pool yes. as well because. In the time since we did the last podcast, the NHL draft happened, Dylan. Uh, we did our long, almost four-hour-long live stream for the draft. It was for the first round of the draft. Yeah. Uh, it was really fun. But the Kraken had ten picks in the NHL draft, and we got to see all of them at the first day of Dev Camp yesterday. So um, let's see. How should we do this? Talking about the new prospects, um, should we kind of do uh, like a, a pick-by-pick little, you know? quick summary for of all the Kraken draft picks. Should we just talk about takeaways from dev camp? Talk about the biggest players. I mean, Dylan, you're our prospect yeah. guy. How do you want to do this? We could probably talk to talk about the, the guys they took towards the top, you know, half of the draft mm-hmm. and, and talk about them. And then we can go ahead and transition over to dev camp and, and talk about everybody as a whole, including the, the previous prospects, maybe some of the guys that they brought in as invites. Um, but you know, everything started with, you know, we, we knew this was a deep draft. We knew there was going to be a good player available for them at pick 20 in the first round. And um, as the draft went, there was a, you know, a few surprises, but the bottom line was that that ended up being the case. And there was a really good player available for them at pick 20. And they were able to, to select Eddard Chalet um, at, coming out of Czechia. And I mean, this was a player that last week on the deep dive, when we kind of did a draft preview, I spoke very highly of you did very very much on on board with him i thought he's a very versatile player plays with a very mature style game 
I love how you know open he can get, how he can kind of read plays as they're happening. He's very generous in how he plays. And I don't mean like, oh, he's going to pass the puck to you. More so like he's going to move around so that you always have an open passing lane to him. He's going to make sure he is an outlet for you. And I've, I've talked about it a lot, you know, the last like prospect live chat. I've talked about it through this whole draft process. One of the big things I really do look for is how players play away from the puck because that's, you know, you're playing away from the puck so much more than you are playing with it. And it's really easy to, to focus on how somebody plays with the puck because that's like the highlight packages and everything. And it's, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to just look at that and say like, oh, this player looks great. But there's a lot of really good players. There's a lot of times when you look at players who have been busts in the draft, it's because they play really well with the puck and they don't really know what to do when they don't have it. And and Chalet definitely does not have that problem. He knows exactly what he needs to be doing away from the puck. And then when he does have the puck, he can put together some highlight reel plays and, and look good with it. He's got a fantastic shot, really good release. Um, I love his playmaking and his vision, like all that stuff plays. And the thing that really impressed me at dev camp yesterday was his skating stride. He was able to keep up with anybody, but he was, you know, looked like he was moving half as fast because he just didn't need to pump his legs as much. Like it was just a nice, long, fluid stride each time he was putting all, you know, he was activating exactly all the muscles he needed to. His skating looked fantastic. Um, so I think he's a really, really good player. I think he's got a little bit longer of a timeline than we're used to with Kraken first round picks just because we're used to picking in the top five. Um, he's going to take a little bit of time. We know he's coming over to play with the Barry Colts of the Ontario Hockey League. They'll be playing Major Junior next season. I think that's going to do really well for him. Uh, he can kind of play on North American ice, learn the North American game a little bit because that was the one thing at Dev Camp with him was, you know, anytime there was there was you know somebody bodying him up, it was it was clear he wasn't used to that. Right? That's not that's not what maybe he's used to playing around. Um, but boy, when he had time and space yesterday, he looked like a special player. So he'll come over, he'll learn that stuff in Barry, and then we'll see if kind of from there what they want to do with him, whether he's, you know, then ready for a Firebird situation because he is European. So he could come over sooner and do that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just really excited by what they did in the first round, RJ. I mean, they, they just hit it out of the park again, three, three, three for three, it seems like. Yeah, no, they, they did a great job. And you, you knew that somebody good was going to fall to them, just given how this draft class was. A lot of the players that you really did like, though, they got taken kind of right before the yes. Kraken's pick. And I know we were discussing it. I was saying a couple picks beforehand, like there's only really two players left that they could pick that would excite me, that would make me excited for the draft selection. And one of those was Edward Chalet and the, the other one, I believe, was Perot. Um and they go with Chalet. Uh, I'm I'm happy with the pick. Um, and, and seeing him yesterday in Dev Camp, uh, he, you know, he did look maybe a little bit rusty. He hadn't been on the ice in, in a couple months, and I, I feel like he knew it too. Uh, you know, I, I feel bad. He was kind of hard on himself. We asked him like, "Well, how did how did today go? How'd you feel?" And he said, "You know, not best. You know, it was my first time in a while. I, I feel a little bit bad about it, but I, I you know, I think a couple more hours and I'll I'll be good." Um, so I, I know he was, you know he was kind of hard on himself about it. So, uh, you know, he's got high standards for his game, I'm sure. And he hadn't been on the ice in a long time. And Haxtell pointed that out too. He's like, yeah, he hadn't been on the ice in a while. We're not evaluating anybody here. Well, you know, he's just getting back. He's like the most important thing is just getting on the ice, uh, yes. which is what you want to do. Um, but, um, you know, seems to have a, a good personality as well. Um, I mean, he's he's a good all-around athlete. I mean, one thing we got to point out is uh, the Kraken prospects went to the Mariners game the day before Dev Camp, and Edward Chalet being the the first-round pick, it was his job to throw out the first pitch 
at the game. And um, I mean, he was fearless. He <laughs> went up onto the mound, threw it right down the middle. Perfect. And, uh, you know, that's all the more impressive by the fact that he had never held a baseball before. <laughs> he had no no experience in baseball whatsoever. It's not really a popular sport in Czechia. Um, and we asked him uh, on the um, yeah dev camp, like, did you have any practice throws? Did you warm up? And he's like, no. Just, just went out and threw it. Yeah. So, you know, good for him. Athletes, you know, it, it translates. And he's also, he's got, he's uh, played tennis before. He's very good at tennis. Um, that was kind of the fun fact about him on the draft broadcast is he, he's uh, quite adept at tennis. And so maybe he's thrown some tennis balls, you know, across the net yeah. to an opponent or something. Give him that throwing motion. Um, but it was good to to talk to him. He said his Czech hockey heroes, great. Ex uh, he was, I think part of the question was like, who are your Czech hockey heroes? Oh, is it Yager? You know, everyone kind of assumes it's always Yager. Uh, but he said, no. No, it's actually uh, Martin Erat and, and Robert Cron, which two very good answers, especially because Robert Cron, the director of scouting for the Kraken, probably <laughs> played quite a big role in the Kraken drafting him. So uh, both of those guys, of course, from uh, Shelley's hometown of Brno um, in Czechia. So that's cool. And then he said he likes what he's seen of Seattle so far. He mentioned that his hometown, Brno, it's a small city. And so, you know, everything here is bigger uh, in Seattle. So, um, you know, still having that impression of Seattle, it is probably a much bigger city than what he's used to. Um, so, yeah, interested to see how he does uh, in the second day of dev camp once he's warmed up a little bit more. Yeah. And it's been a heck of a week for him, right? Like you got to think about the travel to North America, probably not being that long ago. And then the whole draft process. And I'm telling you, it's one thing to see the player get drafted and they're happy and the family's happy and they walk down on stage and they put on the Jersey, they take the pictures. Their night is so far from over at that point. <laughs> Let me tell you from being there and everything, like for those of you who know the Nathan McKinnon draft story, right? I've talked about that before. I mean, he was finally leaving to go back to the hotel, Nathan McKinnon. We're talking about probably close to five hours after he was picked first overall because all of these guys, all the first-round picks, they get they they walk off that stage. They immediately do then do the production for TV, and they talk with you know ESPN. They talk with TS, ESPN slash TSN. They'll go and they'll talk to Sportsnet. They'll talk to all the different TV outlets. Then whatever team's drafted them is going to make them go and do all the all the stuff to talk to the fans, all the social media stuff. They got to take all the pictures in front of the cool LED wall that they had there, RJ. They've got to do that. Then one of the things that they make them all do, uh, all the first round picks, is they all go and they start doing the upper decks card signings, and they start signing. They sign a couple thousand pucks. They kind of they sign a couple thousand uh, trading cards. They sign a couple thousand photos, draft photos that they've already printed out for them and gotten them ready. So they do about ten to 15,000 signatures before, again, they're back to their families. This whole time, they've just gone from their family celebrating when they have to go walk on stage, then they have to go and do all this stuff. It's a very exhausting process. I also know that then there was a lot of travel issues for everybody getting out of Nashville. I don't know if that affected him or not, but it seemed to affect a lot of people. And so... I'm going to totally cut him a break. Not only has he not had to play hockey recently, but also you factor in everything he's and all the travel and everything he's had to do this past week. Um, yeah, no, this is this is why Dev Camp is not the time to be evaluating everybody. It's just a time to introduce them to the facilities, introduce them to the fans, and and kind of get them in the building. You start the processes of what you want to work on with all of them, and really you're just getting them, you know, to know them. Them can get to know the organization. And um, and just, you know, it's it's a fun thing for the fans. But uh, 
those kinds of situations really kind of drive that home. That's how teams view it. I know it's different for all of us on the outside. It's really, you know, we all want to see how they're doing and make all of our notes and do all that kind of stuff. But this really is the opportunity just for them to kind of get a, get a taste of what, you know, an NHL organization is because most of them have not been around it, right? If you don't have a family member who was doing it growing up, you don't really know. You don't know what the, the weight room setup is. You don't know what media availabilities are and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to deal with a lot of that at major junior or in Europe or all that kind of stuff. It's just not on the same scale. So dev camp's really the time just to just to get them acclimated to everything. And that's why we're seeing really the only two two days of on ice stuff while camp is really like almost a week long. So just wanted to get that out there before we start getting into dev camp and everything too. Yeah, that's really important to understand. And, and a lot of the most important things, uh, parts of Dev Camp are the off-ice stuff. Yep. Uh, where, like you said, you learn the facilities, you learn the whole area and everything. Um, so, and I think they got to check out Climate Pledge Arena yesterday. They did a whole locker room tour and all that stuff. So, yeah, just see where they'll be, you know, maybe playing one day. But Shelley was not the only high Kraken draft pick. They also had three second rounders. Okay. Dylan, want to share any quick thoughts on those guys? Yeah, let me let me pull up everybody's name here. I mean, the the first one that they that they had drafted uh, in the second round, but the first of their three picks because they they kept all three. I know that was a big thing for everybody coming in was Carson Rykoff, and um, he's a really interesting player. They took him probably a little higher than just about everybody kind of had him um, ranked, um, but he's a really interesting prospect in the sense that he definitely has skill. We saw that at Dev Camp yesterday. Um, he's, he's a forward. He's got good, good reach and length. He's six, two, but he was a bit of a late bloomer. This was the thing that I found out when kind of researching him. It sounds like he was a late bloomer as far as when he grew. And so a lot of what he did, particularly in the first half of, of last season playing with, um, Kitchener was he, he was a little uncoordinated because of that. And, and this is something that, you know, it's, it's totally normal. Anybody who's been around major junior hockey knows guys hit their growth spurt at different ages. Some do it early at around 14, some do it around 17, but that next season is always a, a, a learning. There's a steep learning curve with your new body. And uh, so skating always looks a little janky puck handling looks a little janky, all that kind of stuff. And that's, I think, I, I think that hurt him a lot in his draft year. Um, it lowered him on a lot of rankings, but you look and he had, I believe, 30 goals. He had a really solid season when, it, you know, point per game, all that kind of stuff. And towards the end of the year, he looked fantastic. Like it was all really starting to come together. The coordination was there, all that kind of stuff. And so I think uh, he was somebody that might have gotten written off a little bit early on by all the all the scouting, you know, at the outside of the NHL scouting stuff sphere. Um because of that new body of his, but the bottom line is he's a really talented guy. Back checks, plays through the neutral zone. I really like that from a forward, particularly like a second round guy, because you know you are looking for pass to the NHL for really anybody out of the first round. And uh, to somebody who's going to be responsible, he likes to challenge defensemen in the defensive zone. He likes to really push and force them at the blue line to make a play. I like that a lot. He uses that new long reach. It looks like he plays kind of with a long stick too. For, for how tall he is. He likes to utilize that a lot in the defensive zone. I, I love seeing that kind of stuff. That That is all stuff I love to see. So I'm really, really happy with what I've seen from him so far. With their second second round pick, they took my boy, Oscar Fisker Molgard. This is somebody I wanted in the first round even. Uh, I was kind of throwing him in the conversation at 20. I knew it would be maybe a reach at pick 20, but I really, really like this this kid. Um, super competitive. Like everything he does is he's he's at 110% each and every time, whether it was uh, in, in games in the Swedish Hockey League or it was at Dev Camp yesterday running little drills. 
The guy is just plastered to whoever he has to defend or whoever he's going up against. He totally knows how to use his body to protect the puck in unique ways. I really like to see that. And then, yeah, whenever we were seeing him in drills where he needed to defend somebody, his stick was always touching the other player's stick, always underneath it. So he could stick lift them at a moment's notice. If the play comes near them, he's stick lifting. That player's not going to be able to receive a pass. And he just kept with his guy. Even when they were doing that condensed neutral zone only little little three-on-three play, RJ, Mm -hmm. the only guy that entire dev camp who could stick with his man through all of that. Because you're talking about six guys in just the neutral zone. It becomes a jumbled mess right away. He was the only guy who could stick with his man through every shift that he had out there during that. And I just think it speaks to the mentality he brings. I know he's going to be a super tough competitor. He probably is going to just be a bottom six NHL forward. But in my opinion, he's pretty much a lock to be an NHL forward. And it's just because he's got that competitive streak and he's got that um, that kind of, he kind of plays like with a power forward edge, despite maybe not having the body for it, but he he just, he has it. And I love to see players with his compete level. So I love that pick for the Kraken. And I totally see, I'm like already, I'm like, he's the morning geeky replacement. He's the bottom six center we need. You did say that multiple times at dev camp. I mean, you were raving about Oscar Fisker Molgard, you know, the whole practice session. Uh, if anyone who was sitting within, you know, two, three rows of you yeah, uh, knows. knows exactly what you think of him. Yeah, so absolutely love him. He's gotta he's gotta put on some weight and stuff. He's listed at six foot one sixty-six. Especially with his style of play at the NHL level, he's gonna need to add a little bit more weight, but he's really good. He already knows how to leverage himself and stuff. So I, I think he he could, you know, his path to the NHL is pretty clear in my opinion. And then with their third second round pick, they took a defenseman, uh Lucas Drasigovich. Is that how we decided it was? Pronounced? I believe so. Correct it's, us if we're wrong, people. Yes. Light up the comment section. Let us know. Yep. Uh, you know, local WHL player coming from the Tri-City Americans. And um, this is a fantastic offensive defenseman, right? He's someone who played forward growing up up until very recently, just a couple of years ago. Uh, so he has the offensive side of his game. He looks fantastic. I love the way that he can walk a blue line. That's pretty unique for a draft-eligible blue liner is to to go ahead and, and walk and play that lateral game in the offensive zone. i really like to see that. He very much looks like someone, RJ, who when he transitioned to defense just a couple of years ago, he went out and said, well, who's the best offensive defenseman? And he watched Kale McCarr, and he said, well, that's, I guess, what I'm going to try to do. Um, he maybe doesn't have the insane superstar level skill that Kale McCarr has, but it very much reminds me of Kale McCarr's style of kind of utilizing all of the offensive zone as a defenseman and understanding where he can go, where he can go to 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 find an open shooting lane, where he can go to create space for himself or a teammate. He's he's really, really smart when it comes to all of that. And then the other thing I like on the defensive side of things is he is trying to actively learn and get better defensively. It's something that he doesn't have those skills yet because he is so you know recent to the transition of playing that position. Um, but you can tell that you know from beginning of the season last year with Tri City to the end of the season, he did get better. I think he is working on that, and I think now that he has been drafted and he can receive the coaching from an NHL organization and and those additional things to work on, I think the next you know probably two years that he'll play there, and then probably another season in Coachella Valley and stuff. Um, he'll be able to improve the defense and get it up to, you know, at least an average level, if not maybe even a little bit more than that, just because he does have a good body. If he if he learns how to puck battle and stuff, he, he should be a decent defender. So I really like that. He's a little bit more of a project, but boy, the upside, it seems really, really high with him. Yeah, and I like when you have a situation where a player's had pretty recent 
like three years ago position change where maybe that's something that doesn't get fully captured in the scouting analysis. Like, look, everyone knows it, but when you're watching tape and if you're seeing, oh, well, here's a defensive mistake or here's a misread here, uh, it's not the first thing maybe that comes to your mind when you're, when you're scouting a player. And so it could cause them to fall on teams draft boards. And look, this is a player with, borderline first round second round talent right yeah. and so when you have that kind of talent when you have that kind of ability and and still the chance to grow uh as a defenseman i mean i think that's the kind of situation you absolutely should be looking for in the second round when you're targeting upside i, I think the kraken just absolutely killed it in the second round this year as they i mean it feels like two years in a row they've done this um but yeah, yeah. when you have the multiple second round picks i, I just i love the direction they went with all three yeah, and it's it's one of those where when when you are looking at players, uh, whenever I look at like a draft class for a team, I look at them and I say, well, what what could they be realistically in the NHL, and what would their path there be? Like, what what would they have to work on to become that? And what I really like about the Kraken, really with all three of their drafts, but I feel like this year more than ever, is they're really dialed into to targeting players and 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 thinking about those same things. And when I look at these three guys, I look at a a Carson uh, Rakoff and I see, you know, this is like a middle six kind of defensive winger, maybe a bottom six defensive winger. And, you know, there's going to be opportunities for that. And yeah, you know, in the second round, maybe you'd want somebody who could have the upside for more, but he's going to be one of those guys with scoring ability, right? He can be somebody who can contribute 15 goals in your bottom six while playing responsible defense. Like, that's a really valuable NHL piece, right? It's not the NHL piece that we talk about all the time, but that's somebody who's going to be really valuable. And those are the kinds of players that can change you from being a cup contender to a cup winner in the long run. And so I like seeing that. Same thing with an Oscar Fisker Molgard, right? Is he going to be a top six center in the NHL? No, I just don't think he is. His skill and his style of play doesn't tell me that he will be, even if he has the talent for it but he's going to be a guaranteed bottom six guy and he's going to be really tough to play against and he's going to give guys fits and he's going to be somebody that nobody wants to see across from them when they have to go out there and take a face off, right? And again, that brings a lot of value to your organization to have guys in the pipeline that can do that and the, to, to recognize that and go ahead and draft them. And then same thing with Drasigovic, who probably has the highest ceiling of their three second round picks um, just because if he can really you know, blossom in everything, you're looking at a great you know, power play quarterback, all that kind of stuff. Um, but even still, even if he doesn't, you're seeing somebody who that offense will get him to the NHL at some point. And if he puts in the work to learn the defensive side of the game, he'll stay in the NHL and he can really be there. And I, and I really like that they can recognize those kinds of things. And they, they find the players that you can see playing in the NHL, even if they don't necessarily have the highest upside. You can see them being NHL players and you know where they can fit into your lineup and you can kind of plan for that. And I think that that's something that a lot of teams don't always do. Or it's something that certainly fans don't always focus on just because you're looking at highlight reels. You're not necessarily looking at, at what somebody can do or how they can transition. All of these players are, are guys that you know have insane highlight reels because they played in top roles with wherever they were coming from. Right? If they played in the CHL and you're taken in the second round, you were a top six CHL forward. Most of those guys are not going to stay top six forwards moving to the NHL. So you got to look at, well, how can they transition then to a bottom six role at the NHL level? And that's where I really look at like a Ray Koff and I see, I see it, right? He, well, he played fantastic defense. He really is good um, playing on the perimeter. He's good at using his reach and, and through the neutral zone. Like, that's an NHL player. He doesn't need to score in an insane clip to be an NHL player. And I like that the Kraken draft guys like that. Yeah, good draft strategy. And now I want to uh, turn the focus to players that 
Kraken didn't draft this year, but drafted in past years, guys that are maybe coming back for their second dev camp. Um, and we have to start with Shane Wright because, mm-hmm. you know, he, Ron Francis said on July 1st that he, the reason that they included Matty Beneers in dev camp last year, and look, we, we saw Matty Beneers at dev camp. He was so good. It was like, okay, you don't really belong here. You know, you're, you're yeah. better than all these guys. You're, you're older, you're more mature than all these guys. But one of the reasons that they brought him in was they wanted to see, have everybody to see all the younger players to see what his work habits were like, what his leadership style was like, everything that he was doing to put himself in that position and hopefully take those lessons away for themselves. And he was hoping that Shane Wright would take the lessons that he learned from Matty Beneers last year and pass them on this year to some of the younger players and really take on that leadership role. And uh, when we were talking to Shane Wright after the first uh, dev camp session, it seems like that's really what his goal is this year we learned that he actually had the option to skip it. They gave him the option to to skip dev camp and which makes sense given all that he had been through this season, mm-hmm. all the different stops that he had made going on a long Calder cup final run as well. I'm sure he was fairly banged up, you know, as anybody would be who, who played hockey at that level. Um, but he said he wanted to come in and be a role model and be a leader for the younger players here. And it seems like he's really embracing that role and, Sounds like Dylan, you could see it when you were watching Dev Camp, and and he has a maybe a different leadership style than Maddie Beneers, as you pointed out. But he was leading in his own way. Exactly, and that was you know low key the thing that I really wanted to see from him. Like I knew we all know he's got the skill, right? And I, and I knew he was going to look like the best player out there, and and so I didn't need to see any of that kind of stuff from him. What I really wanted to see was if he took charge of camp. Right. If he was the player who was in charge. And that's what I did see. And I and we saw it very early on from him. And I, and I thought that that was fantastic. Um, last year where Maddie was very much, you know, there's, there's multiple ways in which you can be a leader. Right. In any situation, but certainly in sports or in a situation like like a development camp for hockey. There's kind of the two two different styles. And last year we saw Maddie very much being one of those kinds of guys that if, say, a drill isn't being set up right or the guys aren't where they need to be for the drill. He's going to go over and either talk to them or, in one case, physically move them over to where they need to be, right? Just kind of guide them over. And he's going to be that kind of more hands-on and communicate that with the player directly. Whereas with Shane Wright yesterday, what we saw a lot more of was when maybe a drill wasn't made clear and the prospects weren't totally you know, on board with it or if if there was, you know, they were set up wrong or things were just too uneven for the drill to, to work when it was time to get going, we saw Shane Wright approach Dave Haxtall about it and, and communicate that to Dave Haxtall so that then Dave Haxtall could put the situation right. And, and so instead of, you know, it's a little different way of doing it. Instead of, you know, addressing it maybe more personally, you're going ahead and you're addressing it through the, the chain of command, so to speak. Um, but the bottom line was he was, he was paying attention to those things, right? Like the, the big incident was, that I could think of was they were, they were going to have to do a drill where there was going to be pucks fed from each side out to players who had to go out and do the skating. And the sides were just way too uneven for this drill to last as long as they knew they needed it to last. And so Shane Wright brought that up to Dave Axel. He's like, okay, guys are not where they need to be. We need somebody, somebody's going to need to play on their off hand and go over to the other side kind of thing. And um, 
and he communicated that with Dave Haxtell. There was another time with a different drill where he was trying to get Haxtell's uh, attention to address something else, and he couldn't. So he went over to Jay Leach, who was the coaches, the, the the closest coach, and communicated with Jay Leach. And Jay Leach then went over and skated to Haxtell, and they got the situation kind of sorted out. And so I, I like to see that. It, it tells me that you know he's he is confident in speaking up, and I think that's a big thing for young people in general. Forget about athletes, right? There's a lot of times, right? We've all been somebody in a situation, it's a new situation, you can kind of look around and go, hey, this isn't going to work, is it? And there's a lot of people that wouldn't want to speak up, right? We've all been there, right? I know you and I have both been in those situations. Oh, for sure. Okay? And we've, there's been times where we've chosen to speak up and there's been times where we've chosen not to. And, and I thought it was just really big for me to see him go ahead and speak up, to feel comfortable communicating to the coaches like that. Just be like, hey, this isn't going to work, right? This thing you're telling us to do, it's not set up right. It's not, you know, guys aren't listening or, you know, you need to be paying attention to this because it's not going to work. I think that's a that's huge uh, in what he was able to do there. I think that was really impressive to me. Showed me a lot of what I wanted to see from him. Um, as far as the on-ice stuff through the drills, like I said, he was better than everybody. I'm sure some of that has to do with the fact that he's, you know, a week and a half removed from playing very meaningful playoff hockey where other players are months removed from playing hockey if they even went to the playoffs in their respective leagues. So I think that had something to do with it, but I think a lot of it is he is just more talented than a lot of them. He sees the ice. The game is slower for him clearly than, than anybody else who was out there. Um, he can make, you know, he makes good reads with his passes and stuff. I thought one thing was early on in the day, whether it was shooting or passing, he was a little too soft with it. He was trying to add a little bit too much touch. He was trying to do it a little soft. I don't know why he was doing that. And then we saw him get frustrated, right, RJ? Because the scoring wasn't there for him. Goalies were making yep. save after save against him. And we saw him get pissed off. And he and he would, he, you know, he shouted something after he he thought he had the the gap and he just didn't fit it through. The goalie was able to make the save. And after that moment, he got tough with it. And it was just he was sending his shots. He was sending his passes. And then they looked amazing. Right. His passes were exactly tape to tape. They were strong passes. Nobody could defend against them. His shots were going in. He was beating goaltenders every time. And, and I thought that that was really good to see because that is one of those things that he's going to need to be to play with at the NHL level. You have to be decisive at the NHL level. And if you think you've got that gap, you have to make sure you're taking advantage of it because that gap's not going to stay there. Right. That's not how NHL hockey works. And so I think that was another kind of moment of growth for him happening in real time in front of us was him kind of learning that, you know what, it's you're not going to break anything by sending your pass strong. Like, be confident with it. You, you're making the right read. Send it. And, and I think he was kind of learning that as as things were going. And I think that's going to be a valuable thing come training camp when he's playing with the NHL club. So, you know, those guys are going to be fast. They're going to be okay with you sending a really hard pass into their stick. That They're going to need it. And if you're taking the shot, you better send it as hard and fast as you can. And you'll you'll be able to beat an NHL goaltender that way. So I was really, really impressed with Shane Wright. And then also equally impressed with him off the ice as well in that press conference. Night and day from last year, right? Like he looked like a guy who was very much the veteran amongst everybody and kind of taking that on when he was speaking to the media versus last year where it was, you know, he was the new kid and everything was very new and he was trying to learn the organization in Seattle and there was a lot of things going on this year. Very, very confident. 
That's the point I was going to make is, is in relation to the media as well. I mean, last year, just yeah, again, I don't blame him, but off of the ride that was everything happening, you know, a little bit wide eyed, just kind of taking it all in uh, this year, confident in command, uh, you know, speaking with all of us and, um, you know, and funny too, you know, it, it's the the players, especially uh, like a dev camp and a prospects thing. It's rare the players can, you know, can, can get, you know, some laughs out of the beat and everything. And, you know, he was he was doing a great job with that, too. I mean, I think someone pointed out that he had maybe added a little bit of muscle and like oh it looks like you put on some muscle there he's like oh ha have i like oh that's great if you if you think so that must be awesome like yeah. <laughs> you know so uh that was great to see from shane and yeah just so confident definitely embracing that leadership role uh this year so excited to see that for him um uh the other uh another second round pick that we did get to talk to was uh jagger Furcus, second mm -hmm. rounder from last year um what did you see from him in dev camp because look we, we last year the concern it, it well, with always with him the concern is the size the ability yeah. to kind of out muscle people to me he didn't look a whole lot bigger than he did last year um is that the impression that you got yeah yeah he's just small like there's just no kind of no way around it uh then you said it was 162 now so i mean that's great <laughs> he's he's going in the right direction he's getting bigger he's getting stronger and it's not like you know he's he's just eating a bunch of junk food and he's putting on, you know, you know, fat at all. Right. Like that was clear. It's not that, but the bottom line is he has, you know, one of the best shots out there, if not the best shot, he knows how to get open. He's always available back door whenever, you know, a team needs him. Like he, he always, he's always in the right spot. It's just anytime he needed to, you know, back check and, and go up against somebody physically or, kind of park himself more net front and a defender noticed him, they come over to engage with him. He loses every single battle because he's just not strong enough. And it doesn't matter that he's shorter and that he, he can use leverage. Like he is trying. It's not like he's not battling. It's just, he just physically is not strong enough. If somebody who is close to 200 pounds is going to go up against him, you're talking about 40 pounds difference. It's hard to overcome that no matter how smart you are, no matter how tenacious you are. 40 pounds is 40 pounds. And when you're talking about athletes, that's 40 pounds of muscle and strength. And, and I think that that's still just the thing that Jagger's going to have to overcome slowly as he works his way towards the NHL. I think it's going to be the only thing that keeps him from getting to the NHL sooner rather than later is working on that strength. But um, the bottom line is I still saw enough from him as far as his shot and his smarts that tells me he can play in the NHL. It's just going to be you know a matter of getting up to, if he can, say a 170 even. Just to just to get anything he can to to help with the battling, um, because right now he's he was kind of getting manhandled, and this was just him dealing with other prospects. Yeah, uh, that's what I saw as well. Just in all those battles, he was struggling to to win those to take away pucks. Um, but I want to move on to a player who uh, had no problems with any of that. Will never have a problem with being solidly built enough and having that size. And that is the third rounder last year, Ty Nelson, uh, yeah. because I mean he looked pretty dominant out there for his group. He was in uh, the other group. He was in group two. So Shane Wright was in group one, but out of his group, he looked like the leader. He looked like the best player um, and the most fun to watch as well. Yeah. I mean, I, he was the player I was most excited for just because he's the most exciting. And the bottom line is he lived up to the hype and um, he is so fantastic. The skating is so beautiful to watch. The fact that he gets so low while skating, nobody can bump him off the puck. Nobody can move him around at all. He's just this little bowling ball out there that's just unstoppable 
once he puts his mind to something. And I think that's really cool to see the offensive game. I mean, his shot is fantastic. His passing ability is great. Um, you know, we'll see more in the scrimmage from, you know, the defensive side of things from him. But the bottom line is whenever there was anything that was a little bit more scrimmage, like, like that little scrimmage tight in tight in the neutral zone that they had, he looked fantastic. He would just take it over whenever he was out there. He was dictating play with or without the puck. And so Ty Nelson to me still seems like the biggest steal in, in Kraken franchise history, getting him in the third round. He's just a special guy. And if, if he was taller, he would have been a first round pick for sure. He would be, you know, on the cusp of the NHL probably, but I think it's just, it's, that's just one thing he's got to overcome, but I think he's really proving that he can overcome it every time the Kraken are asking him to do anything. He has all the tools to do it. People may have gotten scared away at that 510 listed height, but I mean, just look at the way this kid is built. Uh, yeah. He's going to have no problems with size in the NHL. Um, and he looked fantastic. Is there anyone else that you wanted to talk about? Because I know there were a couple players, later picks that you kind of had notes on here. We're about the hour 20 minute mark, but I know, uh, I know you had thoughts on some of these other guys. I, I wanted to give you the chance to get those out there. Yeah, we'll try to go quick here. I think one of the one of the big names was you know Ryan Winterton. Didn't get to see him last year at Dev Camp because he was still coming off of that big injury. Uh, so this was kind of our first time to, to see him in this situation. I thought that was really cool. And you know what? He was a player that all through the regular season, if you know if anybody was part of Patreon and doing the Prospect Live chats, his regular season was a little lackluster. It was good, but it, it felt like he could have been better in his final season in the OHL. And then for the playoffs with the London Knights, he really turned it on. And he was, at any given time, the best player out there on the ice. And I thought he carried over a lot of that swagger from the playoffs into dev camp here, where he, he you know, he reminded me of like that cool kid walking into the classroom, like, yeah, I'm good and I know it. And he went out there and he showed it. He was, you know, he could go top shelf over, over a goalie's shoulder from a steep angle if he needed to. Um, I thought he played with a really good pace. I thought he looked really good. Uh, I think he was really trying to show everybody that, hey, I'm going to be ready for, you know, a serious role with the Firebirds this upcoming season. You know what I mean? And I think that's what he was kind of trying to prove to everyone. So I really like Brian Winterton and what he was able to do in kind of his first dev camp. Um, I like Tucker Robertson. I mean, this is a later later round pick from last year's draft over Ager. Um, played with the Peterborough Peets. Fantastic. His skating is fantastic. He's he's a little on the shorter side, but he's very much got a power forward build. He's got a power forward style of game. Um, but I just thought he he sees the ice really well. He's got a he's got a good enough shot that he can contribute something offensively. But really, the big thing is that he can play with anybody, no matter what the situation was yesterday. He just has natural chemistry with people. He he's got that power forward game that makes it easy to build chemistry with people because he's going to be doing the dirty work and stuff. And he just, he reminded me a lot of kind of what we saw out of Ty Cartier and what he, he can bring and the energy he can bring and kind of maybe, you know, he's not quite as thick and as strong as Ty Cartier. Obviously he's not as old either, but he, he reminds me of kind of a blend between a Cartier and a Tanev in the energy and pace he can play with, with the, with enough offense and then the skating ability of a Tanev to kind of get done what he wants to get done out there against anybody. His puck protection's really good. He can get in close on people. He really understands how to protect the puck, and I think that's something that is valuable, and it's something that'll that'll cause him to have an NHL job someday, whether it's with the Kraken or somebody else. So I like seeing him. Looking forward to seeing him with uh, the Firebirds at some point. Yanni Newman, second-round pick from last season. Big, tall, strong, finished kid. We knew he has the shot. We knew he's had everything but the skating. 
and boy is his skating improved from last year last year his skating was i mean it was really really bad there's a lot you could any bad adjective you want to use you can use it to describe his skating last year and really even through the world juniors that we saw him right like a lot of, he did a lot of damage for team finland but it was you know planting him in one spot on the power play and letting his shot do most of the work um, this year saw him make great strides in the skating. His skating looks so much better. I think you could even describe him as agile now, which is not something I would have thought wow. he could have said last, <laughs> last year at dev camp. Is there still growth that needs to occur there before he could realistically, you know, do damage at the NHL level? Yes, there is. There's still a lot that he needs to work on when it comes to his skating, but I think him, you know, if he can come over, if they decide to place him with the firebirds, he can work with, uh, a coach Campbell, I think that would be fantastic for him as he continues to develop the skating because really the skating is the one thing holding him back at this point, right? He's got the size, he's got the strength, he's got the shot, he's got you know the ability to read plays. But um, you know, last year he he couldn't do like quick cuts and protect the puck at all. This year he was starting to be able to do that, and so I was really impressed with that. Wanted to shout him out. I know everybody would get mad at me if I didn't bring up David Goyet, so let me go ahead and talk about <laughs> Goyet. I've, you know, for those who've been part of the Patreon and the prospect chats, I'm not the biggest Goyette fan. I know he's got a ton of fans out there amongst the Kraken community. I think he's a really good player, but I think in my mind, he's like at most like a fourth line center at the NHL level. I think he's got really, really good skills, fantastic puck handler, really good skater shots there. He's just, he needs to work on his playmaking for me. I don't see enough from him playmaking wise. I don't see enough from him away from the puck for me to kind of be like, yes, I think he's going to be, you know, this this guy in the NHL level that we can really count on and, and do all that kind of stuff. I, he's still someone that I, I want to see grow a little bit there. And it's one of those where his his floor is very, very high, but I just don't know what his realistic ceiling is as far as being an NHL player. So sorry to kind of, you know, pour the cold water on everybody there. Uh, but I, I, it's, it's just the way I see it. A um, couple other guys, you know, that I just thought looked good. Shank uh, Loshko, I thought was really good. Uh, camp invite, I believe there. Uh, oh no, the draft. No, he was a draft pick. Yeah. Draft pick, draft pick from them. I thought he looked really good. Um, I thought um, Zachariah wisdom looked really good. Like, you know, for again, a super late round draft pick to show up and have the play with the energy that he had. I thought was really important because let's be real, you, your draft, you pick two twelfth overall. I think he was your, your path to the NHL is to try to, you know, be an energy guy and, and be that kind of person out there who can get things going for your team probably. And I thought he did a, a good job of showing that uh, Melanson, if we're going to talk about him, I thought he, he showed up and looked pretty good. Again, can he transition to be a power forward? He's listed at six foot two Oh six. He's got the size. He's got enough skill. He's coming from the queue. He's never been asked to play a power forward, forward style game. If he can, he has a path to the NHL. If he can't, I don't know that he's skilled enough to then, uh, you know, have a long NHL career. He'll he'll get up there, but I don't know that he'd necessarily have what it takes to stick around, particularly in a Kraken organization that has a lot of these good players. Um, so those those were kind of some of the other guys that that stood out to me there. Um, it's, it's always tough to say with the, a lot of the defensemen, I know I listed a lot of forwards there. It's tough to say with the defensemen until I can see them more in a scrimmage style setup where they can actually showcase some defense and I can see kind of what their awareness is. Cause that's really the most important thing for them. It's hard to say, but, um, yeah, I, I just thought it, everybody looked good. Nobody really stood out as being bad. And I think that that's a positive. 
For sure. And yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of defending with the drills, really. It was they kept it pretty light. Just, you know, skate, touch some pucks, get some shots. You're not a whole lot of intense drills and everything. So we'll, we'll see a lot more. We'll learn a lot more uh, in the scrimmage on Wednesday. Um, so thank you for those takeaways from Dev Camp. I, I think it was a really great first day of Dev Camp. Looking forward to day two on Wednesday uh, with that scrimmage, too. It's going to be fun. I'm sure that you know, fans will pack the thing just like they did for last year's scrimmage where Shane Wright got the the last second winning goal there. Uh, yeah. Hopefully we'll get uh, just as good and dramatic of an ending uh, for that on Wednesday. Um, I guess last bit of news before we go, just while we were recording this, the Kraken signed Connor Carrick to a one-year contract. Uh, defenseman there was in the Kraken organization uh, for their inaugural season, played a lot for the yeah. Charlotte Checkers. Um Good for him to be back in Seattle for uh, for uh, training camp. I'm sure he loves coffee, so he's he's a big coffee okay. guy. So um, I'm sure that. he'll uh, appreciate being back with the organization. But welcome back, Connor Carrick. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that'll do it for this episode of the Deep Dive, uh, presented by Queen Anne Beer Hall. Thank you again, Queen Anne Beer Hall, uh, for sponsoring all these episodes of the Deep Dive, like you always do. Appreciate that. Um, and with that, we will see you all next time.